Cambridge boasts some of the greatest inequality in the country in terms of social mobility and the overall life chances of disadvantaged children and young people growing up here. There are many studies that show how access to arts and culture can make a radical difference in academic attainment, improving mental health, developing transferable life and work skills, as well as levelling the playing field for disadvantaged students. Unfortunately, it is a fact that children from disadvantaged backgrounds are less likely to participate in arts and culture, partly due to the associated costs and partly due to the lack of exposure and engagement to drive their interest. I'm Alison Taylor and this is Cambridge in Pursuit of Equality. Today I'm talking to Michelle Lord, Senior Arts Development Officer at Cambridge City Council about how access to arts and culture can be instrumental in supporting young people to achieve their full potential. And also to Robert Porer, School Governor and Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, who is leading a local RSA group looking at inequality in education and the transition to employment. So welcome to you both. Robert, I'd like to start with you first, if that's okay. You've spent much of your career in education, working in schools and further in higher education organisations. How does the current national curriculum support children's cultural learning alongside their academic learning? The formula for success used to be when I graduated, qualification equaled the job. But nowadays you need a qualification, you need transferable and soft skills, you need work experience, and really, in addition to that, you need career planning skills, you need aspiration, you need resilience. Now, all those extra softer things need to be built into the curriculum and into the range of activities available through schools. And the risk is that we focus too much on the narrow academic and not enough on some of the other features that schools can really help with with students. Yeah. So, Michelle, from your perspective, why is it important, do you think, that children are exposed to arts and culture? Um, I think there's a, a variety of different perspectives here. I think one is from a child's perspective, which is that children enjoy it. They have fun. Being creative comes really naturally to them and fits in with their sense of play. Um, and arts, culture and creativity I think provide an essential means for children, young people to have that freedom of self-expression, to be able to participate in activities which are often a shared or a social experience. But it's also a lot more than just that because creativity is an essential skill. It has a whole range of positive benefits and is an active contributor to a young person's life chances. And it's the importance of this, which I think we shouldn't underestimate, and it shouldn't be considered to be something that's simply described as a nice to have. Increasingly, we're preparing young people for a world in employment that we don't really know. This is Ryan Kelsall, Deputy Chief Executive of the Eastern Learning Alliance, a group of seven schools across Cambridge. We need to provide young people with the skills, the creativity, the ability to be able to adapt and to use the skills that they've got flexibly for jobs that we probably don't even know are going to exist. And so the ability to be creative 
to think laterally and to work in that way is going to be very important. Otherwise, we're creating a group of young people leaving school who aren't going to meet the needs of the workforce. So whether they've been exposed to going to museums, to having regular discussion and discourse at home about the natural world, experiencing going out on, on walks in nature and discussing things that they see, to just going out and having a meal and being out in, in a public sphere and talking, all of those things are really significant in contributing to the development of young people and their ability to learn. Ryan seems to have a good handle on the soft skills that Robert was talking about and how they'll benefit children. Michelle, Cambridge has a lot to offer in terms of arts and culture. Is everyone able to take advantage of this? Cambridge as a city has probably the most cultural venues and assets in a square mile anywhere outside of London. But there's big disparities in how children from an advantaged compared to a disadvantaged background access that you were statistically more likely to have visited a cultural venue in Cambridge if you lived in Bedford, Ipswich or Norwich, even Northern Ireland, compared to somewhere like King's Hedges or Romsey or Cherry Hinton or or Girton. At its heart, beautiful things enhance the life experience and having an understanding and an access to beautiful things allows individuals to explore them and to find the things that they value. This is Sam Fox. He's principal at North Cambridge Academy in Arbury. It's well known that Arbury, grouped with King's Hedges, Barnwell, Trumpington, is one of the most disadvantaged areas in Cambridge. There is a deep difference between learning about a beach in a classroom, reading about a beach, seeing a photo of a beach, and actually going to the beach and playing with your friends and enjoying the fun that comes with that. And when you're in lessons with essays, asking you to do creative writing on, on what life's like on a beach, there's a massive difference in that experience between learning it through books and actually being there. And that's why it's essential to close the experience gap, because it also plays a central part in learning. We'll come back to Sam later to find out what he's doing to ensure children at his school get those vital experiences he was talking about. Michelle, am I right in thinking that exposure to arts and culture and creativity also has an impact on academic attainment? And if so, how does that work? Yeah, so there's a couple of really key things to understand, first of all, about Cambridge in relation to social mobility. Back in 2016, when the first Social Mobility Index was published, we realised that Cambridge was actually the fifth worst local authority area in terms of youth social mobility. And what that means is the chances of somebody from a disadvantaged background leaving school and doing well after they leave school. We know through a number of research papers, both in the UK and internationally, that participation in arts activities increases cognitive abilities, it increases and improves attainment in things like maths and English, young people are more likely to do better in school and have better behaviour, it reduces the educational attainment gap, and really significantly, students from low-income families who have taken part in arts activities at school are three times more likely to get a degree. If you're developing creative skills, that will contribute to more career opportunities just generally. Am I right that there is evidence that shows that art 
culture and creativity has an impact on mental health and overall well-being as well? And, and if so, how does that work? There are a number of reports that have, have emerged over very recent years that will say that you are 40% more likely to report good health if you are taking part in the arts. We also know that it has these other really interesting knock-on effects, that you are more likely to engage in physical activity and that you are more likely to eat healthily. So it actually starts to influence or change behaviours within other areas that perhaps you wouldn't automatically associate with arts and being creative. But we also know it really helps with work-related stress and it can help young children improve their linguistic, social and emotional development. There are other civic benefits. You're going to be more likely to volunteer. You're more likely to vote. (laughs) Um, And that can't be a bad thing. And then critically for me, I'm really interested in economic well-being. So as I said before, a student who studies art subjects is more likely to go on to higher education. They're more likely to stay in employment. We know that creative participation increases lifetime earnings. And given that Cambridge officially for the last few years in a row has been the most unequal city in relation to income, I think anything that increases the likelihood of getting on and getting a good job can only be a good thing. Absolutely. Here's Ryan Kelsall again. The focus on attainment and progress and measuring how school's done in a quantifiable and standardised way is much more difficult in the arts. And as a result, the arts have been somewhat sidelined. So uh, a focus in primary, particularly on English and maths and progress and attainment in those areas. In secondary, the EBAC measure for schools, which looks at just English, maths, science, humanities and modern foreign languages has meant in some cases, those subjects, sports, arts, creative subjects, have been pushed to the periphery. Robert, the EBAC, which measures the proportion of children attaining grade five or above in English, maths, science, a humanity and a language, came into the UK a few years ago. What's been the impact of this and of the Progress 8 measures on arts and culture in education? The problem has been a slightly narrowing overall of the curriculum, which is, I think, a difficulty. As far as the Progress 8 scores, I think that's been very helpful, but obviously requires very careful interpretation. The Progress 8 score is an accountability measure designed to measure the actual progress that students make from the end of primary school through to the end of secondary school across a set of EBAC subjects. Fundamentally, though, I think there's often an over-concentration on the pure academic. And what we need when we're leaving school at 16 or at 18, when we go on to perhaps university or further study or employment, we need not just academic skills and capital, we need to have cultural and creative capital as well, we need to have social capital as well. And it's those three areas together that will enable you to move on and meet your aspirations. And linking with that, the vital part of having 
proper careers input in schools, which is at last starting to be recognised. Uh, schools, uh, secondary schools particularly, now have a statutory duty to make sure there is proper careers education information and guidance. And that really is the cement that pulls all these areas together and helps the individual pupil or student work out where they need to go and what they need to do to get there. It's key for developing motivation. This year in particular, what do you think, if any, has been the impact of the pandemic? Well, if I look at what's happened at my school, they had significant periods off during the summer when there was no teaching within the school. They did online learning as best they could. Uh, They've come back and they still had gaps because of people having to self-isolate and so on. More than that, though, it meant that all the other activities outside the academic were very restricted. It means that you can not run uh, sports groups or uh, clubs and societies without staying within the year bubble uh, in the school. And I think there's a real concern that the current year 11 students, that's the ones coming up for GCSE, will have been shortchanged in terms of academic study and the personal, social, cultural and careers activities that they would have expected. You know, how could you do work experience during the summer, which is what they should have done. This means that the gap between the schools such as the one I'm at and the less affected schools, particularly those in the private sector, is widening. There's no doubt about that. And something needs to be done to try and reduce that gap. OK, so, Michelle, looking at this, this big gap, what are the main barriers for children, particularly those from disadvantaged families, in terms of their participation in arts, culture and creativity? It's, it's kind of a combination of both real and perceived barriers when it comes to engagement, especially by children from disadvantaged backgrounds. So there are a few kind of quite practical things, I think, that, that can create a barrier. So we don't have like a one-stop shop that can tell you where everything is happening. You know, if you're interested in in uh, finding an activity, you might have to look at 50 different websites. Now, most people from a disadvantaged background are, are perhaps not going to have the time or the inclination necessarily to want to do that. So the accessibility of the information isn't very good in Cambridge. It's also not very obvious, even to me, about what might be free to attend and what is something that you have to pay. So again, there's a communication disconnect where we're trying to get more young people who have less money to spend to be able to recognise what they can actually go and do for free. There's also some really big disparities around transport. I think if you're a young person, there are perhaps social barriers as well around not wanting to go on your own, not knowing if it's something where you'd be welcome or not necessarily knowing if something meets your interests. And another key thing that I think we have to be really wary of is because I work in the the arts and culture sector, I use words like arts and culture, but to a lot of young people, that language might not really mean a great deal to them, or if it does, it could be interpreted as something that's really highbrow and not something that's going to appeal to them. But these are all things that we can address, though, I have to say. This is not an impossible task. But what we do know from research by the Social Mobility Commission, that if you're from a disadvantaged background, you're 50% 
less likely to take part any extracurricular activity, including arts and culture. And this this is the the kind of benchmark statistic that I think is is really important. So 25% of those who, for example, might be on free school meals, might get to take part in something in the year, that compares to 75% of young people who are not free school meal and a staggering 98% of those who attend independent school. And coming back to the comment that Robert made, we know that independent schools have been much less troubled by EBAC and by some of the other education changes that are now squeezing parts of the curriculum because so many of their children will take part in extracurricular activities. Um, It's just part of normal school life for them. And it is widening the gap, no two ways about it. We heard earlier from Sam Fox at North Cambridge Academy. We put to him the question, who's responsible for providing the extracurricular activities for school children? Parents or schools? I probably don't agree with the divide. I think it's um, that there the, is a partnership between parents and schools to do everything that's needed to enhance young people's lives and to make them as happy and successful as we can be. And he's um, doing everything he can to ensure that his school delivers on this sentiment. They run a free Saturday school with dance, drama, art, sports classes, which is attended by 25% of their pupils. They also have an outstanding initiative called 99 Things to Do Before You're 12 and a Half. We've gone through 100 ideas that we think every child should have done by the time they're 12 and then we create trips and opportunities for, the, for all our young people to ensure that they've done them. Walk on the beach, um, dig a hole, climb a tree and they go on different trips to farms and beaches and, and different countries to try and build that experience gap. Unfortunately, not all schools have prioritised the important extracurricular activities in the same way as Sam at North Cambridge Academy. Michelle, we want our school system to prioritise arts and creativity. Can you explain why many don't? So they may not know that Cambridge is the ninth hotspot in the country for cultural and creative industries growth. They may not know that the creative industries are growing at an absolute exponential rate compared to other sectors. And they may not know that 20% of the UK gaming industry is in Cambridge. Another really important fact is that we know that the the, the labour market is really going to evolve over the next 10 years. We know that it's been impacted by COVID and that this has really sped up the impact of automation. So current research suggests that creative skills are predicted to be the third most sought after skill across all job sectors by 2030. And my worry is if you're a young person from a disadvantaged background, as we've already said, way less likely to access any additional activities that could help create those skills, you're facing a double disadvantage. 87% of jobs in cultural and creative industries are either low or no risk at all to automation compared to 40% of other sectors. So that means that the number of jobs where you probably wouldn't have needed a creative skill are becoming fewer. So we're squeezing, we're reducing the number of opportunities and pathways for young people. 
So, Robert, what are the actions and measures do you think that we should be taking to ensure that arts, culture, creativity, education is prioritised? The key thing for me is to get something happening in schools, but then backed up by appropriate resources in the, in the local community. Because we need to bring those two together. So, for example, at my school, uh, we had artists in residence from Kettle's Yard for over a two-year period. And that was immensely valuable for the pupils of the school. So all these creative things are coming along, but also linking in with some of the high-tech side. Because uh, Michelle mentioned the, you know, the game side. Well, if you look at what these games are, they're half high-tech, really clever computer stuff, and half art and creativity. You've got to build stories as well as pictures. So there's a huge element of creativity in there. And I, and I, I suppose the real paradox of Cambridge is that it's an extremely successful city and region, but at the same time has this great inequality, as reflected in the poverty and the disadvantage of really a very significant number of young people. And yet it's these young people who are going to be a vital element in filling the expanding number of high-tech and creative jobs as they're actually building the growth of the region on. We need to facilitate employer involvement in schools in the right sort of way. And then we need to influence all our elected representatives to better understand this relationship of culture, creativity, to education and the de personal development of pupils and students throughout their education. And look at that transition from education to employment. And that means elected representatives at city, county level but also at governmental level but it can take a long time to change uh, the national view of things let's in the meantime get on and do some things yeah absolutely and when we get things in place michelle how do we measure how can we be sure that what we're doing is having a positive or negative impact on those young people how can we be sure that the exposure to kettle's yard for example that robert mentioned um, is helping those children from disadvantaged backgrounds to develop it's slightly unfortunate that the cultural sector isn't doing quite as well as other sectors when it comes to gathering useful data around the impact of outcomes and one of the key aims of the Region of Learning project is that it will enable us to understand the impact of cultural engagement in a much more granular, nuanced way than maybe anywhere else in the country. The Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Region of Learning project is a universal passport to learning, skills development and career opportunities for children and young people, being developed by Michelle and her team at the council. Because we want to actually understand the impact of engagement in all forms of learning, including arts and culture. And importantly, to measure this against different types of learning. So whether it's formal learning, informal learning, vocational, lifelong, academic, extracurricular. Because all of those forms of learning are equally valid particularly when it comes to the development, as, as we were talking about earlier, human capital, social capital, cultural capital. It's those range of skills, the soft skills, if you like, not just the hard outcomes of the number of GCSEs somebody might have, that will enable us to understand what works with which young people and why. 
that's the question that we want to be able to answer. And there are a number of really um, important outcomes that we think we can do that with. And that includes social mobility, educational attainment, life skills, post-16 destination, career aspiration, as well as health well-being and social care, because those are the types of things. They're all interconnected, but they're all this range of things that impact on young people. If we don't have the facts at our fingertips and we can't make change. So just quickly, once we get hold of this data and use it properly, what does the future look like? There's a bit of an irony around the fact that we have a, a project that can demonstrate that it has real world impact However, the way that it achieves it is using a library card, a digital platform, and it's connecting young people to the holistic, existing, everyday offer of learning that's actually out there, but you might not know about it, or you might need an additional incentive, whether real world or whether financial, to enable you to go and participate in it. I mentioned before, Cambridge has the greatest number of cultural assets in a square mile. How do we get people to engage with what is there? It's world class. We just need the funding to create the infrastructure that enables people, it gives them everything they need in order to participate. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, and I wish you the very best of luck with that. And thank you also to Robert for your insights and all the hard work you are both doing. I'll leave you with some final thoughts from Julie Spence, Ambassador for Cambridge 2030 and Lord Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire. Well, thank you, Alison. I think that we probably all learned something from Michelle Lord, the Senior Arts Development Officer at Cambridge City Council, just in terms of exactly the impact that art, culture and creativity can have on young people's life chances. And anything that we can do or anything anybody who's listening can do to support young people having contact and connection with the arts are critically important for the city as a whole. The key skills that we need in the future will be flexibility and adaptability. It's not just about having a skill and thinking that gives you a job for life. It's being able to have a skill, realise that actually that skill is no longer necessary and being quickly able to retrain and learn new skills so that you can go into another field. There are issues that perhaps some people might think are trivial, are really, really important. And as a city, we need to facilitate the engagement of young people and older people with the different side of the life that we have to offer, because it will make a significant difference to their life chances and their enjoyment of life. So thank you, Michelle, for opening particularly my eyes and I'm sure everybody else's eyes. And I think now as a community, we should come together to support you in giving people those different experiences that really enable them to have a fulfilling life. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode of Cambridge in Pursuit of Equality. I've already given a name check to Michelle Lord, but thank you, Michelle, who was the Senior Arts Development Officer at Cambridge City Council. Robert Porer, School Governor and Fellow of the RSA. Ryan Kelsall, Deputy CEO of the Eastern Learning Alliance. Sam Fox, Principal at North Cambridge Academy. And to the team at Conscious Communications for bringing this all together. 
If you'd like to be a contributor on a future series of Cambridge in Pursuit of Equality, please contact Alison Taylor at Conscious Communications on info at consciouscoms.com. We believe the messages around reducing inequality in this episode are important, so please help us spread them far and wide by sharing this show with your network. Finally, if you want to be part of Cambridge 2030 or simply find out more, head over to cambridge2030.org and register your interest. Come on, Cambridge, we know that we can make this a sustainable city to be proud of and in one in which everybody has a stake. So please sign up to help and give your support.